I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Mother's Day is actually one of the most well-attended Sundays of a church's annual life. In fact, we had a record number on Mother's Day of 335 in our two services, and Father's Day is usually one of the lowest. Now, if you wonder why that is, here's why. Because kids want to do what their parents want to do on their day. So what do moms want to do? Moms want to come to church and have their kids come and sit by them at church and be with them at church. Dads want to go fishing. And so uh, there are a lot of people that should be here that are out fishing today. Not there's anything wrong with fishing, you know that. Uh, but out doing other things today uh, when they should be here. And gentlemen, I'm going to talk to you today about the challenge of manhood. There are a lot of challenges about being a man, and especially about being a godly man. Uh, the kind of man that God has created us to be. Uh, God invented manhood, invented womanhood. And he's given us a lot of challenges. Even this uh, last couple of weeks, Julie asked me uh, what I wanted for Father's Day. And to be honest, I've got about everything I want out of life and I don't really want for anything. And so I went onto the internet and I couldn't decide between three things. I saw a uh, world's greatest grandfather t-shirt and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. But I thought, well, probably getting a fight with somebody at the ballpark about that or whether he's the greatest or I'm the greatest. That probably is a bad idea. And then I saw this uh, kind of spray-on toupee thing. Maybe I thought, well, maybe right here in the corners, you know, for me, I still have a little bit in the center, but maybe on the corners I could do that. And then I, I think I, uh, those got trumped by the uh, uh, stainless steel uh, nose and ear trimmer that looks like a finger. I thought that was pretty cool. So I don't know if that's what I'm getting or not, but we'll, we'll see later in the day. Uh, but there really wasn't much on the Internet for me to want. Uh, but you know, those are some of the challenges we face, but there's a lot bigger challenges than that. Uh, by the way, uh, ladies, uh, if you get a sore elbow today uh, from doing this a lot, uh, then gentlemen, if your wife does that to you a lot today, I want you to go and uh, uh, get the link to the Mother's Day sermon and uh, send that to your wife. And uh, listen, I was a little hard on moms on Mother's Day. Not, not hard in the sense of, of just, uh, listen, to be a godly mom is a big challenge. It, it is really tough. And um, I, I, I try to be encouraging and yet be honest about the challenge of being a godly woman. And today we're going to be that same kind of honest with men. And uh, so ladies, give them a little break. Rest your elbow a little bit. Uh, let God, you know what? You can do that pretty good, but God does that a lot better. So let him do that if you would, please. Uh, all right, let's talk about the challenge of manhood. I want to share with you uh, some really four big principles. And as I thought about this sermon and I read through scripture, I thought, man, there's like I can probably find about 114 different principles, but that'd be a really long sermon. Uh, you wouldn't want to stay here that long, and I'd be getting hungry too. So I thought I'd just break it down to really four big ones, four really huge, huge principles about being uh, a godly man and just uh, hitting this challenge of manhood. And so let's just get right into it and talk about the first one, and that is to lead actively, not passively. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't seem to be a very big, huge, gigantic principle, but I think as we look at it, it might be a little eye-opening to how big of a principle it really is. It's massively important, folks, uh, in setting up a biblical home for a man to be a real man and be active, not passive in his home. We've all heard the saying, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? But gentlemen, let me just encourage you. If this idea drives you as a man, you will be a miserable failure. Did you hear that? If the idea of always keeping your wife happy 
and always avoiding to deal with conflict by just giving in, if that drives you, you'll be a miserable failure as a man and as a father. I'm not saying that your wife's happiness is not important. I'm not saying that at all. But that can't be the sole driving force of your relationship and of leading your home. I want you to see that in the scripture. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at most of this first chapter, but I want us to start with just verses 1 through 7. Here's what the Bible says. So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now when you read that, you may think, hang on, uh, you know, what's going on here? Why is this important? Now, when I, I, I was raised going to church, uh, my parents dropped me off every Sunday morning, and uh, I heard this story of Adam and Eve, and I heard this story of how uh, they committed this sin. And it was always communicated to me that, that Eve and the serpent had this little conversation, and after the serpent convinced Eve to eat of the fruit, she went over to Adam and found him and gave it to him. That's how, at least maybe it wasn't communicated to me, but that's certainly how I heard it. Folks, that's not what happens here. That is not what happens here. I want you to see clearly. Let me go back to this last slide. She, she had the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. See, the picture is not that her and the serpent had this conversation and then she goes off and finds him. The picture is that she's standing there talking to the, ser the serpent and Adam is standing right there next to her. And he does nothing. Nothing. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And that's exactly what Adam did. Gentlemen, as men, our greatest, one of our greatest temptations is to check out when things get tough or when there's conflict, isn't it? We don't want to deal with it. So we run off to the garage, or we run off to the basement, or we run off to some hobby so that we can avoid having to deal with life. This is probably one of the greatest sins as men. And Adam was standing right there, and he didn't do a thing. He heard the conversation taking place. The serpent asked him a question. He didn't step between them. He didn't get involved in the conversation. He stood right there, watched it happen, and then he participated. Let's continue on with verse 8. This gets almost entertaining. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now they both play the the blame game right there. They get caught in their sin. They both play the the blame game. Uh, uh, Eve says, wait a minute, the serpent deceived me. That means that she bought into the lie. Uh, uh, The serpent lied to her, asked her a question that wasn't true, and he knew it wasn't true. And, And she was deceived. Pay really close attention that the scripture does not say Adam was deceived. He wasn't lied to. He didn't buy into an untruth. He knew exactly what was happening, and he still did nothing. And then when Adam got caught, he said, and God, the woman gave it to me. And then he goes even a step further and says, in fact, it's not her fault, God. You gave her to me. Wow. That's uh, pretty silly, pretty gutsy maybe, pretty stupid all at the same time. So they play this blame game. But, but I want you to see here, folks, that Eve clearly says she was deceived. Adam wasn't. He knew exactly what was going on, and he stood there and he watched it. Gentlemen, if you want your wife to eventually despise you and your children either to be in prison or hate you or be living in your basement when they turn 40 years old, do nothing. That's the plan. You don't, even have, you don't have to do anything evil. You don't have to be a bad husband or a bad father You can just check out. You can just do nothing. You can just not participate when something's happening you should get involved with. Now, after God curses a serpent, he he takes care of Adam and Eve here. And, And I want you to see here in verses 16 through 19, when God curses Adam and Eve for what they have done, I want you to see what Adam's sin was. Adam's sin was not eating the fruit. Pay attention to what God's word says, folks. It's really important as we read God's word to really observe clearly what it says. Let's read verses 16 through 19. It says, To the woman, he said, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread Till, the return to, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. What was Adam's sin? He listened to his wife. Now, before you all go, hey, I don't have to listen to my wife anymore. That's not what it's saying. In fact, I would even tell you that many times uh, the voice of your wife can be the Holy Spirit speaking to you, 
But the point is this. When, when anything or anybody goes against God's expressed will, it's always foolish even to listen to your wife. Men, we have to be active in our marriages and our families. It is our responsibility at the end of the day how almost everything goes in our family. Do you hear that? See, we, we like to hear the passages that talk about our wives submitting. We'll talk about those in a minute. We like to, we like to be the ones that say we're, we're the leaders. But guys, that comes with great responsibility. Great responsibility. It is our responsibility at the end of the day for almost everything that goes on in our homes. If you're not happy with the way things are in your family or in your home, it's up to you to lead things differently. It's not up to your wife to lead things differently. It's not up to your wife to initiate changing things in your home that need to take place. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility. Part of leading means we lead. And we don't just passively let things happen around us and pretend like they don't exist. Now, I know that seems kind of harsh. But guys, I have the same temptation as you. When, when my kids were younger, or even when my grandkids are over now, and, and, and they're not behaving, and Julie's in the room where they are, and I hear this thing going on, it's really easy for me to go, oh, this is kind of an important part of this show. I'll just let Julie handle it. Turn it up a little bit, drown them out. That's real easy to do. But the thing to do is for me to get up, stop being lazy, go into the other room and handle things. Be the leader of my home. Guys, we're all tempted to do that. And we're tempted to be lazy about our relationships. See, women, you know, I mean, think about it. You know, women go to the mall to get a pair of, of jeans, and they're there having a relationship with the mall for four hours. I don't even know how that happens. They love relationships. They love doing that whole stuff all the time, just being in a relationship and talking about it. And all that. We don't, most of us. We, we kind of push back on that. But we got to be active, actively leading in our homes, or folks, Satan will come in and steal our families away from us. Second thing that I think is really important for men to do is to love your wife through sacrifice. Now, you might hear in these first two things that there seems to be a little bit of conflict, uh, but I don't think that's really true. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I thought this was a sermon on being a father, not a husband. What's... What's being a, you know, loving my wife got to do with my kids? Listen, loving your wife well in front of your children is the best way that you can love them. It's the best way you can love them. It sets them up for relationship success in the future, folks. Think about it. What if each of your children had a marriage exactly like yours? Now, most all of us always want something better for our children, right? Right? We want our kids to be more educated. We want them to have more opportunities. We want them to experience more success. We want them to have greater experiences in life. I mean, most of us want something more for our children. That's kind of a normal, natural thing. Many of us want our kids to have much better relationships probably than we have. But we don't model for them. See, we don't do the work that's necessary to help them do that, to pave the way for them to be able to do that. 
Look what it says in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And I know some of you are saying, oh my gosh, these verses again? Yeah. Until we as men get this and we practice it and we accomplish it and we're practicing it with some level of success, uh, we just need to keep hearing these things. In these passages, I've, I've made some words yellow and, and italicized them because I want to emphasize them. And then we'll talk about it here in just a minute. But let's read Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, again, reading and understanding the scriptures is very important that we actually look at the words that are said. It never tells men to make their wives submit to them. Never says that. Gentlemen, it's not our uh, uh, responsibility, it's not our uh, privilege or, or, or our opportunity to ask or force our wives to submit. God is speaking to wives when he says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's, that's him telling them, him working with them. And it's almost, in fact, God only addresses wives in this area, almost as if he were whispering to the wives so that the husbands wouldn't focus on that or take advantage of it. But he does say three times, love your wives, love your wives, love your wives. You know, when we prepare sermons and we, we try to find analogies or examples or stories or some kind of way uh, to get our point across. Here, God does that for us. He says, love your wives, love your wives, love your wives. Well, how, what does that mean, God? What does that look like? He says, look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look what Jesus has done for you. Look how he loves you. That's how you love your wives, gentlemen. Wow. That kind of sacrifice? Yeah. That kind of selflessness? Yeah. That's a challenge, guys. That's a big challenge. It's a challenge for us as human beings to live such a selfless, loving way to make our wives put our wives before ourselves. And you say, well, wait a minute. The first point, uh, you said you know, that we needed to, to lead actively, not passively. We were in charge. We're running the show. We're doing our thing. We're... No, no, no. That's not what I said. What I said was participate consistently, constantly, and protect your wives and your children even from themselves. Honor God and do what he wants you to do. And one of the greatest things he wants you to do is love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. 
Guys, that's the best way you can love your kids. I have, I have had personal experiences. I have counseled people. Almost everybody approaches their marriage the way that their parents modeled for them. Now, you can, you can think through this. You can make other choices. You can, you know, you're not destined to do that necessarily. But kind of the natural default is to deal with things the way your parents did. You know, if you have somebody uh, who has grown up in, an, in a, a situation where the parents always battle it out, they yell and scream at each other and, and have these big battle royales, you know, every time they get into a conflict, and they marry somebody who's, whose parents avoided conflict, never talked about it, never dealt with it, it just kind of, uh, you know, simmered under the surface all the time, and these two get married, it's going to be a disaster, because one of them's going to try to crawl into the furniture, and the other one's going to be following them around the house, yelling at them, saying, "Hey, what do we got? We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. We got to." Okay, it's just a normal thing. So here's the bottom line, folks: You want to set your kids up for successful relationships later. You want your kids to have a successful marriage. Show them how to treat one another, gentlemen. Show your sons how to treat a lady. Open your wife's door. Pull out the chair for her, and not too far either, okay? <laughs> Give her little gifts. Show her your love in front of them. Give her little kisses. Uh, you know, do the things that, that show your children that you value and love your wife. You teach your young men then how to respect women. You teach them how to, to, to love their future wives in a way that's honoring and godly. And you set your, your girls up, you set your daughters up to wait for a man that will treat her right so that she doesn't fall for the first goofball knucklehead that tells her, I love you, and she just goes off with him. Okay? You set them up for success when you love your wife. The third thing I want you to see today is this. Teach your children to know and follow God. Wow. This is huge. Look at Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. There is kind of a universal principle uh, from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, that the things we do uh, somehow uh, deeply affect the next three generations. Our children, our children's children, and our children's children's children. Now, my time with my children, teaching them, leading them, it's over. They're all adults. They're on their own. Now I can still love them, have interaction with them, uh, try to model for them still, but that time is over. Now I'm trying to help support them on how to help my children's children know and follow God. By the way, gentlemen, it's not a better, there's not a better experience in this whole wide world than to lead your children to Jesus or to lead your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren to Jesus. There's not, I'm telling you, when you sit there at a table and you are with them, the moment that they pray and ask God to be a part of their lives, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus, and they pass from death to life right there in front of you. There is no greater joy, I don't think, in this whole world. But guys, you can't do that 
if you don't know and follow Jesus, you can't teach them how to do it if you don't do it. Now, if you owned a business uh, and you wanted to pass that business on to your children someday, into their children's children someday, you would be involving them early on, wouldn't you? At 10 years old, you'd be, you'd be taking them to work with you. You'd be letting them uh, put some of the stock away or whatever it is you do. If you run a little store, you know, when they're 13, 14, 15, maybe you let them run the register and handle money and you're teaching them more and more all the time. Uh, they get into high school, you're giving them some responsibility. Maybe they could even manage, uh, uh, you know, a little bit. They go to college, get some education, they come back, and, and you, you're like, wow, I'm, this is about to the place where I can just kind of turn it over to them. I can kind of let them run the show because I've been teaching them since they were five, six, seven, ten, whatever. That just sounds normal to leaving a business to somebody, doesn't it? But if you want to leave a legacy to your children and your children's children and your children's children's children on how to know and love God, you can't wait till they're 17 and have a discussion with them. You've got to be showing and modeling to them all along these things. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, Michael, then I've already blown it. I, I haven't done that. Start today. If you're here and your kids are already of an age where you, you are long past having or should have started already, just say to them, listen, by the way, this is part of leading, guys. Kids, I'm sorry, I haven't done a very good job. I've failed you in some ways. But I'm going to start today to do things differently. I'm going to start today. And then start today. But you can't teach your children to know and follow Jesus if you don't do it. And guys, that starts with you giving your life to Christ. That starts with you realizing that you are a sinner that there is nothing that you can do to take away your own sin. You can't, there's not some giant scale in the sky. You can't do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. You can't do anything about it. All you can do is put your faith and trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross by choosing to go there and pay for our sins with his body and his blood. And when you put your faith and trust in that and that alone to save you, you are the one that passes from death to life. And the next moment, you can teach your kids how to do that. You can teach your kids how to do that. Guys, that, if you, you know, I understand we all want our kids to do better. I want my kid to do better in life, in their spiritual life, more than any other way than I did or than I have done. Yeah, I want them to succeed in all areas of life. But... But if I die and my kids maybe don't make as much money or, or, or don't have as much stuff or all these other ways that the world views this, but my kids are, are, are closer to God and they're living for him, uh, fully committed, even better than I am, man, I'll be a happy man. I'll be a happy man. We have to teach our children to know and follow God. That's important. And first, we must do that ourselves. Finally, gentlemen, we have to lovingly discipline our kids. Lovingly discipline our kids. Now, I think this is one of the areas where I, I actually see fathers uh, be lazy more than any other place. I, I see families doing things. The kids are out of whack. You know, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Mom is always the one that's got to call them down. Dads, don't, don't do that. Don't turn over authority of your home to your wife by, by stepping back. 
Don't become a passive Adam and just stand around while these little kids from Satan and your wife are having a battle, okay? You get involved. You step up. You be the man of the house and you discipline your children. I'm not talking about uh, punishing and hurting your children. I'm talking about disciplining them. Look what the Bible says very clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What that really means is don't break their little spirits. Don't break, don't break their little spirits. Now, guys, uh, I, I saw again uh, uh, either this week or last week that science has made some incredible new breakthroughs where they've actually confirmed the fact that men and women's brains think differently. That was amazing. I'm so excited about these new scientific discoveries. And, and, and so, guys, if you have boys, you can be pretty stern with those little boys. And, of course, every, every child's different. But, but you got to be careful with those little girls. Okay? You can't break their little spirits. But you can still warm up their seats, you know, their rear ends. <laughs> Why you don't break their spirit. See, the key is to discipline them. Don't punish them. You don't punish them out of anger. You don't say, well, because you did this, I'm going to give you this. That's punishment. That, you don't see that in the Bible. What, what, you, what you see is discipline. Okay, you did this, so now I'm going to be forced to do something that, that gives you enough pain in life that you change your behavior. Because I don't want you to grow up to be this little hooligan. All right? So I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to do it in love. And so, you know, sometimes with the boys, you just give them a little whack on the behind and you move on. Little girls, you got to make sure you, you know, I love you, I care about you still. And, and you know, all kids are different. You got that. Uh, I'm going to let you work with your own kids how you do. I, all I'm saying is be mindful of their little spirits because if dad is always barking orders to a four or five or six or eight-year-old girl, they're going to get to the place where I, I'm just going to avoid dad because I'm afraid of him. I'm, I'm deeply afraid of him. Now, we want our kids to have biblical fear, which is I want them to listen to what I say and know if they disobey me, there's going to be some consequences. But we don't want them to cower in fear. But I want to show you Proverbs 13, 24. And, and I think the last time I read this scripture here, it was some people gave me a little bit of um, feedback. It, it, it's just, it's a, this is God speaking. It's not me. I just want you to know that. Proverbs 13 says this, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, there, this is a very deep verse, okay? And, and moms, the, uh, when you are home with the kids during the summer and you're with them all day long, you understand what it means uh, to diligently discipline them. You know, there are certain times when kids are like, they're just at that age where it's like, okay, stop doing that. Well, they stop doing that. They start doing something else. Well, stop doing that. Well, they stop doing that. Start doing something else. Well, stop doing that. And you feel like all day long, all I'm saying is stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And at some point you go, oh, whatever. I'm just tired of saying stop it. I'll just let it go. That's exactly what Adam did. He's like, I don't want a part of, I don't want any part of this. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it go. Don't let it go. You gotta be diligent to discipline your kids in love. But folks, listen, look what it says very carefully. It does not say whoever spares the rod or, or refuses to discipline their son or their child, it doesn't say they don't love their kid. It says they hate them. They hate them. Why is it so strong there? Why does it say if a person refuses to, to diligently discipline their child, they hate their kids? Why does it say that? You, 
we've all seen kids that don't get any discipline, haven't we? And it's, it's kind of cute or funny when they're three. It's not so cute when they're eight. At 14, it's downright irritating. And at 19, there are some deep and, and really problematic repercussions of that that can't be fixed. I would challenge you, go with me the next time I go to the Platte County Jail and, and see if you can find somebody there who said, yeah, I had two really wonderful, loving parents that disciplined me, and they were diligent in disciplining me. Yes, it can happen. But I'm telling you, if you, wanna, if you really want to be a good dad, don't step back and refuse to discipline your kids because it's too hard. Don't get lazy about disciplining your children. Do it in love. Do it the right way. Uh, but lovingly discipline your kids. And by the way, we, you know, there's always a discussion about what does that mean? Do we spank? Do we not spank? Do we take stuff? Listen, whatever works for your kid, whatever works for your kid, you know, um, I, I've, sh- I've shared this a hundred times, but it's just so true. Uh, you know, Casey, my daughter who sings on the worship team and, and, and sang right here, led that last song we did today. Uh, man, when she was little, all I had to do was give her the look, give her the voice, say her middle name, and she was a pile of butter on the floor. All I had to do was say, Casey Lynn, I am so disappointed in you. She's in a fetal position in the corner crying. It, it, you know, that's all, that's all I had to do for her. That was it. And my other daughter, Amanda, if I said, Amanda, I'm really disappointed in you. That really makes me sad. She'd look at me or score in the eye and go, so? <laughs> they got disciplined very differently. Very differently. But I think if you talk to them, both of them would tell you, and one of them needed it a whole lot more than the other. But I think if you talk to them, they would both say that they were fairly dealt with. Fairly dealt with. So you got to figure out your own kids and discipline them, but do it with love. But folks, you got to do it. Men, you got to do it. I, in fact, I would challenge you, men, go through the scriptures, do a little word study on disciplining your children, and, and see how many times it talks about the mothers disciplining the children. And how many times it talks about fathers disciplining their children. Moms, it doesn't let you off the hook. Okay? You are our agents whom we are not there. But men, this is our responsibility. This is our responsibility. Do not, do not be lazy and let your children come to ruin. By the way, I also hear parents say, uh, pretty common in this culture, well, I just... I would discipline my kids more because they really need it, but I just don't want them to be mad at me. Folks, that's a critical error in thinking. If your kids are not occasionally upset with your discipline, you're a friend, you're not a parent. Your kids don't need more friends. They've got enough friends. What your kids need are a mother and a father who love them enough to discipline them and make them do what's right. And yes, when you discipline them, they're not happy with you. Get over it. You're loving them. You're helping them. You're teaching them to be responsible human beings. And I guarantee you, if you will do that, when they are 20, when they are 30, they will not despise you. I promise you. They will not despise you. They will love you. And they will tell you, holy cow, now that I've got kids of my own, I get it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. They will tell you that if you'll do it with love and with diligence. Men, these four things are a challenge. 
to lead actively and not passively, to not fall into the trap of just being lazy and wanting to avoid dealing with the conflict and the relationships. But guys, we can't do that. We can't do that. We've got to step up. We've got to lead actively in our lives, in our, in our homes. We've got to love our wives with sacrifice. Look at the cross. If you want to see a picture of how to love your wife, there it is. And I would say none of us do that perfectly. We've all got to get better at it. We've got to encourage one another. And part of, the, part of the community here, folks, is that we can help each other, encourage each other, just do that better. And we've got to teach our kids to know and love Jesus. And then lastly, lovingly discipline your kids. There are a hundred other things that we need to do as men and as fathers, as husbands. But guys, let me tell you something. If, you, if we will do these four really, really well, there's a lot of other things that just fall in place. There really are. And so I want to encourage you today. If you feel like, man, I've been beat up on, I'm, I'm not doing any of these things well, I'm just, okay, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Your life is not over. Your kids' lives are not over. You still have time. Okay? Do these four things and see if God doesn't bless you and your home and your kids. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that always guides and leads us to the truth. Father, forgive us where we have failed you where we have been passive and we have chosen to not participate like we should. Help us to step up. Help us to be more active. Help us to not shy away from the hard parts of relationships. And help us to really make you the focus. You, uh, the center of our lives, preeminent in our homes, that we would do the things that honor and glorify you above anyone or anything else. God, help us to be better husbands Help us to be better fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. God, help us to do the things that will leave a legacy of good, godly people who follow you and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.